You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. We have been in a series the last, I don't know, eight, nine, ten weeks. Obviously, there's been some vacations throughout the summer, things like that. But our series has been entitled, Lies That Are Shaping Our World. Lies That Are Shaping Our World. And I'd like for you to turn to, turn to Ephesians 2. It's going to take me a while. Again, you know that our, uh, this series in this 10 o'clock hour is kind of more of a kind of just jump around to different texts. And uh, we'll get... Uh, at 11 o'clock, we'll get back into Mark where we're going uh, verse by verse through that. But let me ask you a let me ask you a question. What is and it's okay. There's a lot of different uh, potential answers to this, and maybe even the Lord is using something like this differently in your life, and that's totally okay. But over these weeks, what is what has been my? If it's okay if you're wrong, it'll just humble me anyways. All right. Um, what has been kind of the goal of this series? What's been the goal of this series? To what? To alert you. Okay, yes. Okay, all right, to alert you. Andrew? Okay, yeah. All right, let's go a little bit further. What what good is it to just know the lies? Anybody? So hum- This is great. Humbling. It's awesome. It's you all hopefully are hearing the lies then we go into scripture and we and we talk about the lies hopefully you're being equipped to where when you are dealing with people in your everyday life i'm not just talking about when you're trying to witness to them i that's of course a part of your life but just in your everyday life on life conversations that whether it's on the job whether it's friends neighbors maybe even family members whatever the case is that that these lies that are shaping the world, shaping the lives of your lost coworkers and neighbors and so on and so forth, that, that you and I would not only understand them, but we'd be able to combat them. And so they've all been kind of building. We started uh, with the lie of you can believe whatever you want to believe. And that's what the world is just pumping out there. And that, that belief system, all of those different isms that we looked at, I'm not going to go through those this morning, all of those, they, they produce many subsequent lies or because of the belief that I can just believe whatever I want, well, then you're kind of, um, you, you, you come into these different realms. And so this morning's lie that I want to address is with an understanding, I want you to understand that I'm going to teach the way I'm going to teach. I'm going to say some of the things that I'm going to say this morning so that when you're dealing with people, you can impact them and you can hopefully get the gospel to them. Here's the line. No need for God. You can change yourself. No need for God. You can change yourself. Again, if you can believe whatever you want, again, remember what the ultimate goal of of evil in the world is. It's just it's totally eliminate God. It's like we don't, we, we don't want God. We don't want Him anywhere in our, in our sphere. And so if that's the case, then I can believe whatever I want. 
and you don't need God and you can change yourself. All you got to do is take a look on any road that you're on, any freeway, and the billboards on a said road trip is enough to realize that people want to change their lives. Whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, there is a vast range of self-help industries that have sprung up all over uh, around the world. Why? Because it's trying to meet the world's insatiable demand for self-improvement. In effect, they perpetrate a lie that dominates the world, and that is that you can change yourself apart from God. Now, of course, it's possible to change some features of our lives, at least temporarily. We can change our hairstyles. We can get makeovers. We can lose weight. We can make some money. We can find love. We can, you know, we can change careers. We can move to a new city. And that's some experiences even in our church this morning. We can start all over again, whatever the case is. But our, our root problem, it always remains. And the root problem is an inner sinful nature that refuses to change. And so let me start by saying this. You cannot change yourself apart from God. All right, there's a lie out there. Ah, you don't need God. Just change yourself. Turn over a new leaf. And you see it every January 1st, right? You know, and we try to improve. I get that. So don't, so don't take this morning's lesson too far, okay? Don't, so, so, don't, so don't go too far with it. But many of the changes in your life are certainly a function of self-restraint or self-discipline. No, I'm not going to put that fork into my mouth an additional time, right? Okay? You and I, we actually can do that on our own. I, I get that. If you earnestly want to lose weight, if you want to stop smoking, if you want to find a better job, you can achieve those external goals through some simple acts of willpower. But no amount of willpower can change the essentials of who you are. Your genetic makeup is not flexible, nor is the fundamental spiritual state you were born into. There's nothing you can do to shed I'm talking about apart from God. Remember, that's the lie. Apart from God, you can change yourself. There's nothing that you can do apart from God to shed your, your sin nature. And the prophet Jeremiah, he effectively said as much when he rebuked Israel for their continual rebellion against God. Here's what he said. He said in Jeremiah 13, 23, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. You see the connection that Jeremiah was making there? It's like, you know, you, you, you can't just change your color. It's like, no, if you're an Ethiopian, you're Ethiopian. You know, if a, if, if a leopard's got spots, you can't just remove that. You can't just remove the spots. And so what he's saying is, is someone that he understood that, 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 that we have an innate sin nature. Now, we've been driving this home week after week from different angles. And again, these are fruits of the beliefs of, I can believe whatever I want, you know, those different types of things. Well, if we don't believe that there's a God and we don't need God, then guess what? You're going to have a prosperity-type mentality that's sweeping the world, sweeping Christianity, and it's like, ah, oh, you, know, you can change yourself. You don't need God. You don't, you don't need His Word. And so Jeremiah knew that we don't have a chance of altering our own nature, just like you can't change skin color. Just like you can't change spots on a leopard or, or a leopard. So self-help gurus like Tony Robbins, who professes this, again, we don't want to go too far with this, so just, so just hear me out, okay? 
We can change our lives. We can do have exactly what we wish. But it is nothing more than, honestly, just bogus promises that are built on this lie. Christian leaders, Christian you and I, we should be, we should re, be able to reject this. We should, be able to, we should be able to speak into what is going on. But often, that is not what happens. Instead, just like I did last week, I'm going to name a few names, and you'll be all right, okay? You, you'll be okay. I'm not trying to step on your toes too much. But preachers like Joel Olstein and Stephen Furtick, are as they're they're kind of in an opportunity to market this Christianized version of the same law. In fact, Osteen has an entire book on this subject, by the way, I have read it. And here's what the book is entitled, The Power of I Am. Okay, let me just read for you the summary of this book. Can two words give you the power to change your life? Yes, they can. In the pages of his new book, best-selling author Joel Osteen shares a profound principle based on a simple truth. Whatever follows the words, I am, will always come looking for you. So think about that. I mean, should you and I be down on ourselves? No, we shouldn't. Should you and I um, not have, you know, a brutal low self-esteem? No, 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 no. Again, don't, don't take things too far. You and I, you ought, to, you, you ought to be able to say wonderful and kind things about you. You ought to connect those things definitely also to Christ who is in you. But it's, it's this just idea of, you know, I am. And then you place whatever you want after that, and then that's going to come to pass. It's, it's dangerous. Okay? And listen, it's sweeping Christendom today. It's a... Prosperity, gospel, and easy believism. Just, ah, just this is just this is just what you want, okay? And so, listen. There's nothing less than divine regeneration is needed. Self-help. Again, I'm not I, I, I'm not opposed to being encouraged. I'm not I'm I'm not opposed to uh, those different types of things. Please do not go beyond what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to equip us to understand what is going on here. So. Point number one was you cannot change yourself apart from God. Again, we can change some exterior things. I get that. But you know what I mean. That's the, the, that nature, the core of who you are. You can't change that apart from God. Number two, and here's where we're going to just start, you know, just diving through scriptures here. Dead men need resurrection, not reform. Hear that? Dead men need resurrection, not reform. Look there in Ephesians chapter number two. I love chapter one. Chapter one is so beautiful, and you know that the, uh, of declaring what you are in Jesus Christ. Powerful, love it, love it, love it. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, he's. It's such a beautiful book. We've gone verse by verse through that book, and uh, we learned, uh, we learned so much in it. But the Apostle Paul, he's describing the fallen human condition. And notice what he says in verse number one. And you hath he quickened. All right, so he's talking to a church, talking to a group of believers. You hath he quickened or made alive. That's why I get the word word resurrection. We die with Christ, and then three days later, praise God, he rose again from the grave. You and I, we are raised to new life uh, in Jesus Christ. And so you hath he quickened. You hath he made alive who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins 
wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So this, he's describing all what we were prior to salvation. Okay, So if the world does not know Christ as their Savior, this is a description of them. Among whom also we have our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We don't need God. But verse 4 says, but God. So that we, we, we could not change ourselves if we wanted to. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, made us alive again in Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In the famous verses, for by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, as is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus and the good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. And so you and I, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. All a dead man can do is remain in his present state. That's it. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God moved. God entered into the picture by, of course, sending Jesus Christ. And so God raises the dead man and God makes him a new creature. That's also what Paul said, right? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that you and I, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So you want reform? You need a conversion. Like true reform. I mean, we can can go out there and we can try to help people, and, and, and we ought to, okay? But... But the truth is, what is really needed is Christ. What is really needed is the power of the gospel. And now turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, please. Ezekiel 37. This is also in the Old Testament. God confronted the prophet Ezekiel with the same reality regarding the dead spiritual condition of rebellious Israel. What you find in Ezekiel 37 is God transports the prophet into a valley of dry bones. And as Ezekiel finds himself surrounded by this vast sea, so to speak, of skeleton corpses, here's what God asks him. Look at verse number 1 of Ezekiel 37. And the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. And caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? It's the question. Can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Ezekiel knew only a divine miracle could revive these dry bones. And so God gave Ezekiel a message. He said, hey, I want you to, I want you to preach. I want you to preach to this valley. Try to, try to picture this. I mean, what, what a request, right? Sometimes, sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I feel like I'm preaching to dry bones. Just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I really am kidding. 
I love the receptivity of our church. I absolutely love it. Y'all are hungry. You desire to grow and be nurtured from the Word. I, I love it. Look at verse number 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. And the bones came together. I mean, could you imagine this? This would actually just terrify me. Bone to his bone. And when I beheld it, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. That would be scary. You know, there's, 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 what it means is there's, there's no life in them yet. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come forth the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. But the mass resurrections that took place were because of the divine impartation of new life. Verse 6, earlier on, it says, and I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, or put life in you, and ye shall live. Jump down to verse 14. And shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it saith the Lord. And there's types and there's pictures all throughout the book of Ezekiel. And we don't have time to necessarily go through that this morning. But this passage is an amazing picture. Hear me. Uh, Here's how I want to apply it. Of evangelism. And what it really is. We stand among the masses of people. Listen. Who are dead in sins. You say, why do they act like that? Because they're dead in sins. Why would they? Because they're dead in their sins. You, remember Ephesians 2.1, who were dead in sins. This is how we used to act. This is what we used to do. All those different types of things, right? You and I, we became new creatures. Old things are passed away. Now things are new. Let's not stand in the status of new and look back to the old and turn our nose up to that. Let's remember where we came from. Right? Let's not be pharisaical. But as we stand in the masses of people who are dead in their sins, listen, it's not our jobs to bring them back to life. It's not our jobs to to mortify their behavior, to modify their behavior with some form of stringent uh, morality. L- listen, you and I, you, we, you really can't dress up a dead corpse. It's just, okay, that's not it. We're not interested in merely rearranging the skeletons in Ezekiel's valley. You know what you and I are called to do? Proclaim the gospel. You and I are supposed to preach life. You and I are to, 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 to preach what can change that individual from the inside out. There's a whole lot of exterior modifications going on when really what is needed is the interior heart change. You and I, we need to trust God to raise His people from death of sin to new life in Christ. Ultimately, it's only regeneration wrought by God that can produce any meaningful change in the spiritual status of a sinner. And so just prior to Ezekiel 37, that's amazing. God explicit, He makes it explicitly clear that He's sovereignly in charge of every meaningful change. 
when a sinner is converted. To the, to the justification, to the sanctification on. Turn over to chapter 36. And as we read from chapter 36, before he has Ezekiel preach to this valley, and before you see that, that resurrected life coming up within them, notice all of the personal pronouns as God is speaking to Ezekiel. Look at verse number 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Listen, this is a prophesy. This is a prophecy of actually your changed life right now. Of you and I. This is God. God changes you. God gives you a He gives you a new heart. And that passage is that passage and so many others, I'll show you here in the Old Testament here in a little bit, is, you know, in Christ's discussion with Nicodemus. Would you turn to John chapter three? You gotta understand, Nicodemus, he would have understood things from the perspective of the Old Testament. Okay, he would have had great understanding of the Old Testament Scriptures. And so the Lord, He, he highlighted the uselessness of the human effort as a, parent, as, as, a, as a way to change the heart. Look at verse number 1 of John 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Again, very schooled in Old Testament law. A ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto Him, Rabbi, we know that Thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, and this is such a, like, a legitimate question. I mean, you and I, we got the New Testament. You and I, you know, we're looking back. But imagine you hearing that for the first time. You've got to be born again. Nicodemus said, saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus is telling this very schooled, Pharisee of Old Testament teachings, that you've got to be, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus would have been, as he's hearing, oh, I've got to be born of the water. Okay, that makes sense. All right, that's that's birth. And then I've got to be born again. I've got to be born of the Spirit. Right? When you go and then you connect that to Ephesians 2:1, when we said that we've been quickened or we've been made alive what's been made alive the spirit in us is made alive the spirit of christ and the holy spirit comes within us and makes us alive and so now we don't only have a body and a soul now we have an alive spirit we are created in the image of god getting really doctrinal here with this god the father god the son god the holy spirit you and i were created in his image in a trichotomy body soul spirit well that spirit died with the fall of man. It was sin. And so that's why when you kind of read 
and it says that we were created kind of in, in the likeness of Adam, what that means is you and I, we were created in sin. We were created with a sinful nature. We were born in iniquity. Romans 5.12 tells us that you and I, because of Adam's sin, it passed down upon generation to generation to generation. Well, now the Holy Spirit of God comes in, and you get born again. All right? That's just kind of a cursory look at that, at that you know, kind of deep doctrine there. And so Jesus had these Old Testament passages in mind, and He was showing regeneration by using the Old Testament, which is absolutely what Nicodemus would have understood. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, okay, and the heart of thy seed, and the love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. So early on, even in the Old Testament, you know, God is saying, hey, I'm going to circumcise, which means to cut away. I'm going to cut away that, the, that old nature, that sinful heart. I'm going to cut that away. I'm going to give you a new heart. You're going to be born again, the Holy Spirit of God. That heart of stone is going to now become a heart of uh, a flesh. You're going to be born again. Turn to Jeremiah 31, real quick. Jeremiah 31. We okay this morning? I do have a point, I promise. Man, time's flying. This might be the last passage I have you turn to, just so I can. I want to be able to draw the conclusion here. Verse 31, Behold, the days come. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Hallelujah. I love those words. And with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I've made with their fathers in the days that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. By the way, you and I break all that old covenant as well. Which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in thine inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Ezekiel 11 says, And they shall come thither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof and all the abominations thereof from hence, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So it's against the Old Testament backdrop that Jesus in John 3 is telling Nicodemus, hey, listen, you've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. And listen, to be born of the Spirit, that is a supernatural God thing. Only He can bring that about. And so listen, apart from God, there is no change of the, na- of the, uh, of the lasting value. Again, we can, we can change some exteriors. I, I get that. And you and I, we shouldn't just you know, you know, walk around like this. You, you, ought to, you, you ought to look in the mirror in the morning, okay? And you ought to realize, yeah, don't, don't be down on yourself. I, I'm, I'm not saying you do that. 
But then also don't don't get swept up in the whole of just, you know, just this prosperity type of, you know, everything's great type of mentality. Realize that the the real problem is not that I needed to shave in the morning. It's the heart. It's the heart. And so when you and I are in a sea of mankind that is dead in their sins, see their heart. Can I ask us, can I ask myself, I, I, I so enjoyed spending some time this week with this, and I was kind of, let, let's see beyond their sin and see their heart. Let's be careful that we don't just label people by their sin. That's a, that's a, that's a druggie. That's a, that's a, that's a prostitute. That's a, that's a, that's a homosexual. Listen, how many of you would like to walk around and people begin to say, I'll just point at myself because I don't, I don't want you. There's a pride. How many of you struggle with the sin of pride? If you didn't raise your hand, you'd lie. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? But you know what? We don't, I don't want everyone to be like, yeah, there's a pride. There's a glutton. Hey, I, I'm a glutton when my family's away. And my wife was in family. They were away all week. And yeah, <clears throat> okay, we won't go there. Ah, there's a glutton. There's a lust. No. Aren't you glad that that's not how, aren't you glad that we don't walk around with like our sins just plastered for everyone else to be able to see? The only difference between you and the only difference between a lost world is Jesus. It's not our exterior modifications. Christ brings about change. Yes, he does. All of those Old Testament texts that we read to, absolutely. But listen, let's, let, let, let's look beyond that sin and let's, let's love enough to show them the love and the grace and the favor that can be found of God in Jesus Christ. You go one chapter later, you have the woman that's at the well. Right? And he's dealing, Jesus is dealing with the woman at the well. It's so beautiful. He breaks all kinds of cultural norms. He goes through Samaria. You weren't supposed to go through Samaria if you were a Jew. Right? Well, you could, but it's like, taboo in the culture of its world. All right? Men didn't really talk to women in that Bible day unless it was family members. So he shatters that cultural norm. This woman is coming to the well in the middle of the day. Why is she coming to the well at the middle of the day? That's not what they did. You study the culture. They used to come early in the morning so they would have water for the day. And they would come in groups. Yet this woman is there alone. Why? Because she's an outcast of society. We learn later in the text why she's an outcast of society. And so he's like, hey, I can give you living water. Shows that love. Shows that grace. She doesn't quite get it. She's like, man, if I can get that living water, you can give it to me. He's like, oh, all right, go get your husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. You've had five, and the one you're with right now, he ain't your husband. You see why she's, quote, unquote, kind of the outcast of society. She was viewed that way. And yet, Christ, he acknowledges the sin, but he shows, he shows that grace. He shows that favor. A couple chapters later, John chapter number 8, woman has caught in the act of adultery, right? She's brought before Jesus. 
most likely with no clothes on. That's exactly how the Pharisees would have done it. They, would, they wanted, wanted to shame her as much as they could. Trap Jesus and shame her. Brings her before Jesus, no clothes, and you know the story. If you don't, Jesus, he begins to write in the sand. What did he write? I don't know, and neither do you, but that's okay, all right? He wrote in the sand, but it was enough to send from the oldest to the youngest of those leaders off. All, all, all of her accusers. And you understand historically, hey, that oldest one leaves, that's saying a lot. If the oldest one is like, well, I'm much younger, and I am younger, right? Amen? All right, okay. Much younger. Wow, if my elder acknowledged that he's got sin in his life, well, then I do too. And so they go away. And then he asks the woman, where's your accusers? And they're gone. And notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Now go sin no more. Do you see the favor, the acceptance, the love? Not affirmation. Go sin no more. He was calling the sin the sin. And go sin no more. Let's look beyond the sin and see the heart. See the heart. You and I, we're going to be in a sea of deadness this week. See beyond the sin. See the heart. And give them the only thing that can change them. And that is, of course... The, the, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 5.26 says that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word. And so Jesus, He's been dealing with Nicodemus. He tells him about you've got to be born again, you've got to be born of the water as well of the Spirit. He's emphasizing that, that, that spiritual cleansing and how it's a whole work of God. It's His work. It's not a result of human effort. Then he goes on in verse number 6. Hear this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So regeneration is entirely God's work, and it's unaided by any human effort. Romans 3.25 says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And so man-made efforts at personal transformation are about as useless as rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Okay? The Dead Sea of Humanity, their ultimate destination is a lake of fire. Just as your destination prior to verse 4 of Ephesians 2, but God, before Christ came in, our destination was an eternity in hell. And so, change is not bad. Don't get me wrong. But this temporary change, this superficial and ultimately inconsequential when it comes to the core and so like Ezekiel, Christians need to focus on one thing. Faithful proclamation of the message we have been commanded to preach. We've gone through series. We've gone through the soils. We've gone through, we looked at the woman at the well. and We broke that down over, I think, like six or seven weeks. And so listen, that, that is what you and I are commanded. You and I are commanded to preach the gospel. But, and we pray that God in His sovereign wisdom that He will do His work of regenerating the dead to life. What you and I are to do is to faithfully preach the message. 
life on life, day after day, moment after moment, being God conscious, being aware that I am in a sea of dead humanity, and as you are experiencing the lies that have shaped our world, we are prepared with biblical answers, biblical communications, God consciousness in our day-to-day, moment-by-moment. And listen, you and I, we've got to see beyond the sin and see the heart. Because if all we're focused on is the exterior, you're going to be repulsed by it, and you're not going to want to engage in that. And where, can I encourage you? Don't take this too far either. Why don't you get a little... Why don't you get a little dirty and stinky this week? Why don't you like Jesus? We looked at it in the book of Mark already. Why don't you dine with sinners this week? And say, hey, I know what can give you life. And it's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All day, every day. Give him the message. Give them the only source that can take that dry bone that we looked at in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, all those things, and the new heart comes through a regeneration of the Holy Spirit of God coming inside of us. So can you change? Yeah, we can. Yeah, some exterior things, but they can't change the inner heart apart from God. And Ephesians 2, with anybody, is a great place to start kind of describes us then verse four you see that transition but god enters in to the scene gives us christ and changes things so let's have a word of prayer father we